The rocks have been crying out from the earth since the day in 1948 that Israel became a nation in one day, just as was prophesied by Jeremiah more than 2,600 years ago. The archeological discoveries in the land of Israel bear witness to God's promise to our father Abraham that all of the land from the Euphrates to the Nile belongs to the sons of Israel. Shock waves will shake the earth as heaven reaches down to fulfill that promise. And every nation that stands against that promise will find itself on the battlefield against the Almighty. This is the greatest story never told. It's all about Yeshua, the prophet, the promised Messiah. Join me here in the land of Israel as we take a chronological and archeological journey through the Gospels. You have never seen anything like this before. I'm Michael Rood, prepare for a rude awakening. After Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Chaldean astronomers from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to pay homage to him. When King Herod heard these things, he and all Jerusalem were troubled. He gathered all the ruling priests and sages together and demanded that they reveal where the Messiah was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, just as it is written by the prophet Micah. Micah prophesied that the future ruler of Israel would come out of Bethlehem, the city of David. He went on to say that troops of an occupying military force would wound Israel's future leader and that he would relinquish his authority to rule until a future time in which the remnant of the scattered tribes of Israel would return to the land. A hundred years before the Roman Empire even existed, Micah knew that a foreign army would occupy Israel. How did he know that the future king would be born in Bethlehem? How did he know that Israel's king would be smitten on the cheek, wounded by the soldiers of this occupying army? How did he know that the northern 10 tribes of Israel would remain scattered until the king regathers them in the last days? He knew because the God of heaven gave him detailed information about these future events, just as the angel Gabriel had given to the prophet Daniel. Matthew chapter two, verse seven. Herod called the astronomers in privately and diligently inquired of them, when did the star first appear? Herod made diligent inquiry, which is one Greek word used twice for intensity, akribo, akribo, to ascertain precisely by thorough examination, interrogation, Herod wanted to know everything that the astronomers knew about the birth of the king of the Jews. He knew that these treasure-laden emissaries were not out for an afternoon camel ride. They had traveled for two months at great expense. They were dead serious about their mission to deliver the treasure entrusted to them. This was not a little informal chit-chat session with Herod. He interrogated these intruders into his kingdom. How did you know what to look for in the constellations? How did you interpret the pathways of the planets? Where did you get your information concerning the birth of the king of the Jews? 
When exactly did his star first appear? Herod had to ascertain the validity of the astronomer's claims, and he had to wonder, why is it the temple priests and senators and scholars know nothing of this event, other than that which the prophet Micah prophesied? Or what were they keeping from him? Herod was a jealous king. He had been rebuilding the temple for 16 years, and his architectural genius graced the land from Masada to the Galilee. His children were destined to rule over Israel as the next kings of the Jews. There was no way that some child was going to get in his way. Herod executed his own adult son, Antipater, less than four months after this incident because Caesar had an issue with him. Herod would not even allow one of his own sons to jeopardize his throne. Certainly, no upstart child was going to take it from him. The astronomers were ready for this interrogation. Their records, as with all astronomers, were meticulous. And since the Julian calendar had been the official calendar of the Roman Empire for more than 43 years at the time, the astronomers and Herod spoke the same calendric language. They began, 16 months ago, on Thursday, August 1st, his star, Hatzedek, the righteous, came into conjunction with Nogah as it proceeded on a direct course toward the constellation of Ariel, the lion. On Thursday, September 12th, his star came into conjunction with Hamelech, the king star, between the feet of the lion. That was Tishri 1. Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets. This was the great sign in the heavens that announced the coming of the righteous king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Monday, February 17th, his star, Hatzedek, once again came into conjunction with Hamelech, the king. That was 10 months ago. Three months later, on Thursday, May 8th, his star, Hatzedek, came into conjunction with Hamelech the third time. A month later, June 17th, his star, Hatzedek, again came into conjunction with Nogah. On Wednesday, August 27th, his star came into a mass conjunction with Kobab, Nogah, and Ma'adim. Then finally, on Monday, October 13th, two days before the Feast of Tabernacles, his star, came into conjunction with Nogah for the third time in just over a year. We waited until after the conclusion of the feast and then we departed for Jerusalem. This is a city from which the king will rule the earth with a rod of iron and absolute justice. Then Herod sent them to Beit Lechem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. When you found him, bring me word so that I may come and render honor. It was Friday, December 19th, that the astronomers arrived just in time to meet with Herod and spend the Sabbath in Jerusalem. It was on this Sabbath that all priests, including Zechariah, were serving in the temple in preparation for the Feast of Hanukkah, which began on Tuesday of that week. The astronomers were looking forward to getting a restful night's sleep before delivering Daniel's treasure but their sleep was interrupted by a revelation dream from the Almighty. They were warned not to report back to Herod, but to return to their country by another route. Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. 
stay there until I bring word, because Herod is scheming to destroy the young child. It's winter in ancient Judea, and Yeshua is teaching in the Dead Sea Valley. While teaching, he is invited to dinner with a group of Pharisees, where they notice that he is not adhering to their man-made ritual hand-washing. What results is a war of words that will eventually lead to Yeshua's crucifixion. This month, Michael Rood presents The Season of Our Insult, a new teaching on the difference between true righteousness and its man-made counterfeit. He doesn't wash his hands. He marveled? No, he was offended. The Season of Our Insult is an all-new teaching from Michael Rood, part of a 20-episode Love Gift teaching series. But the only way you can get it is with your Love Gift donation in February. And Yeshua said, you Pershing clean the outside of the cup and platter, but inside you are full of gluttony and excess. You fools! Own the season of our insult right now when you give a Love Gift donation of $50 or more. Or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus an alabaster jar and a supply of anointing oil infused with the wonderful scent of frankincense. A daily reminder of Yeshua's words that how we portray ourselves on the outside must be the same as how we are on the inside. Get the alabaster jar, the anointing oil, and Michael Rood's eye-opening teaching on Yeshua's example of true righteousness, the season of our insult. All these things that you need, you'll have, but you pursue the kingdom. Do what he told you to do. Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, the season of our insult, plus the alabaster jar and anointing oil. Hurry, this offer is only available in February. Make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. Michael Rood's Message of Truth is broadcast all over the world, but none of it happens without the monthly financial support of our Ambassador Club members. And right now, membership has more benefits than ever. I'm giving into a ministry that is helping to feed other people that have the same hunger that I do. Join now, and Michael Rood will send you the Ambassador Club Welcome Kit, an exclusive messenger bag stocked with teaching DVDs, Red Sea Crossing cards, and more. You'll also receive ambassador-only bonus gifts whenever you make a separate donation to receive the monthly love gift. Best of all, you'll get ambassador-only sale prices in our online bookstore several times throughout the year, plus exclusive invitations to Ambassador Club functions at a Rude Awakening events. All it takes is a modest commitment of $100 per month or an annual gift of $1,200. Call now or visit the Arude Awakening website to join the Ambassador Club. After they heard the king, the astronomers departed. In the east, literally in the rising, they beheld the star which led them, and it came to the point in the heavens and fixed itself directly over Bethlehem where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Biblical astronomer Robert Scott Wadsworth in his book, A Voice Crying in the Heavens, details that the morning of Sunday, December 21st, just two days before Hanukkah, the astronomers' pre-dawn celestial observations caused their hearts to leap for joy. The eighth and final sign 
was his star in retrograde motion directly over the village of Beit Lechem, as viewed from the ramparts of Herod's palace in Jerusalem. Verse 11, when they came into the house and saw the young child with Miriam his mother, they did not come to a manger with a newborn baby, they bowed down before him. They opened their coffers and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Beit Lechem is less than five miles, or eight kilometers from Jerusalem. The astronomers would have arrived at the house within an hour of their departure. They offered the three gifts traditionally presented to royalty. The pure oils of frankincense and myrrh were more valuable than their weight in gold. The scriptures state that three types of gifts were offered. There were not three astronomers. They would not have been wise men, but fools to journey through the wilderness without being escorted by a large, heavily armed caravan. There may have been a dozen or more Jewish astronomers who took part in this historic journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Verse 12, having been warned by the Almighty in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country by another route. The dream warned them of Herod's treachery, so they defied King Herod's instructions and immediately departed to Babylon by the southern route, avoiding the commonly traveled route past the city gates of Jerusalem. Herod's guard was armed and at the ready, waiting and watching for their return. Verse 13, after the astronomers departed, the angel of Yehovah appeared to Yosef in a dream. Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Stay there until I bring word, because Herod is scheming to destroy the young child. Yosef arose and departed that night, taking the child and Miriam into Egypt. Yosef's dream prompted him to get up in the middle of the night and move with haste. It was Monday, December 22nd, the 24th day of the ninth biblical month, the day before the Feast of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, translated as the Feast of Dedications in the Gospel of John, is the festival that celebrates overcoming the Greeks who killed all the Jewish boys around Jerusalem who were circumcised according to God's Torah. History, his story, repeats itself. Now another evil king is scheming to destroy the king of the Jews, Israel's Messiah. Yosef and family will be on the road to Egypt as the city of Jerusalem is being flooded with Israelites who have come to celebrate their miraculous deliverance from the pagan Greeks. A little more than a year earlier, Yosef and Miriam presented the poor man's sacrifice of two doves when they brought Yeshua to the temple on his 40th day. They were not yet in possession of Daniel's treasure. But just as Yosef and family had to make their emergency escape to Egypt, a treasure arrived just in time to sustain them through the turbulent times ahead. In all their trials and troubles, they had been faithful to obey the instructions they had received. They were in the will of the Almighty, and he made certain that the provision for their future had already been made hundreds of years earlier. Verse 15. They remained in Egypt until the death of Herod. Thus it was fulfilled, which was spoken by Yahweh through the prophet Hosea, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Hosea's prophecy was literally 
referring to Israel's exodus from Egypt, by figuratively referring to the nation of Israel as his son. As a prophetic utterance, Hosea's words were fulfilled when Yeshua, who was literally the son of God, was called out of Egypt by the angel of Yehovah. Herod was incensed. Is not this son of his likely to become king of Israel? He sent his servants again to speak to Zechariah. Tell the truth, where's your son? Do you realize that your life is in my hands? The lives of Israeli victims hang critically in the balance following events of terror, violence, and war. But there's another painful problem. Men, women, and children living in poverty. And you can be there for them. Visit us online at thelydiaproject.com. You'll find personal stories from the people who need you and the information you need to make a difference in their lives. When you give to The Lydia Project, you enable us to send help. Emotional and spiritual encouragement are especially needed during these critical days of recovery. Your support enables our ground team in the land of Israel to function as Yehovah intended, providing for the wounded soldiers, widows, orphans, and the poor. Help Israel. Give to the Lydia Project. It's winter in ancient Judea, and Yeshua is teaching in the Dead Sea Valley. While teaching, he is invited to dinner with a group of Pharisees where they notice that he is not adhering to their man-made ritual hand-washing. What results is a war of words that will eventually lead to Yeshua's crucifixion. This month, Michael Rood presents The Season of Our Insult, a new teaching on the difference between true righteousness and its man-made counterfeit. He doesn't wash his hands. He marveled? No, he was offended. The Season of Our Insult is an all-new teaching from Michael Rood, part of a 20-episode Love Gift teaching series. But the only way you can get it is with your Love Gift donation in February. And Yeshua said, You Pershing clean the outside of the cup and platter, but inside you are full of gluttony and excess. You fools! Own the season of our insult right now when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more. Or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus an alabaster jar and a supply of anointing oil infused with the wonderful scent of frankincense. A daily reminder of Yeshua's words that how we portray ourselves on the outside must be the same as how we are on the inside. Get the alabaster jar, the anointing oil, and Michael Rood's eye-opening teaching on Yeshua's example of true righteousness, the season of our insult. All these things that you need, you'll have, but you pursue the kingdom. Do what he told you to do. Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, the season of our insult, plus the alabaster jar and anointing oil. Hurry, this offer is only available in February. Make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. When Herod realized that he was deceived by the astronomers, he was filled with rage. He ordered the execution of all children in Bethlehem and the surrounding area 
from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. This phrase gives us specific time parameters for both the signs in the heavens and the birth of Yeshua Messiah. The astronomers arrived in Jerusalem about one year and four months after the first astronomical sign, and exactly one year, two months, and six days after the birth of Yeshua on Tishri 15, September 26 of 3 BCE. Females, newborns, and children in their third year and older would most likely have been exempt from the execution order, as they did not fit the profile stipulated by the astronomers. Verse 17. This was the fulfillment of the words spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In Ramah, there was heard a voice of lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Given the meager size of the population around Bethlehem and nearby Ramah, the relatively small number of children that would have fit the execution profile, and the large number of people whom Herod and the Romans were accustomed to killing on a whim, is doubtful that the slaughter of these male toddlers would have warranted much notice outside the immediate area. It certainly would have been no concern of Rome. Both Yeshua and Yohanan were living in the hill country of Judea, in the vicinity of Bethlehem, at the time Herod's execution order was released. They were both in their second year. Yeshua was born in quiet obscurity, with only a handful of shepherds privy to the announcement by the angel. Yohanan, on the other hand, was born as a result of a miraculous announcement to an old priest serving in the temple on the high day of Shavuot. Zechariah, his father, was struck deaf and dumb and the multitude of the congregation of Israel was present to witness this unusual occurrence. At the time of Yohanan's circumcision, Zechariah's mouth was open, and he cried out a prophecy concerning his son that was noised about through all the hill country of Judea. In the vicinity of Jerusalem, there was only one obvious candidate for the Messiah, Yohanan ben Zechariah, the Cohen, the miracle child, Herod would not be able to rest until the son of Zechariah was dead. Yohanan was filled with the spirit from his mother's womb, and the little child lived in the wilderness, eating the diet of a homeless nomad, kosher grasshoppers and wild honey. He lived in seclusion until the day his ministry began, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, the year 26 of the Common Error. The details raise the question, where are his aging mother and father? In the gospel records of Luke and Matthew, Yeshua refers to a man named Zechariah who was murdered between the altar and the temple. Upon you will come the responsibility for all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. The Greek version of Matthew presumptuously added the phrase son of Barachias, but the ancient Hebrew Matthew reads identical to Luke's account, which does not designate this particular Zechariah as the son of Barachias. Yeshua could have been referring to the prophet named in 2 Chronicles 24, but 
most likely he was referring to the execution of his mother's cousin, Yohanan's father, Zechariah the Cohen, for which the temple guard was directly responsible. The ancient extra-biblical text, the Proto-Evangelion of James, tells of the execution of Zechariah by the temple guards under Herod's authority. The Proto-Evangelion, chapter 16, verse three. Elisheva, hearing that her son Yohanan was about to be sought, took him and went up into a mountain looking for a place to hide him. Verse eight. And there appeared to them an angel of Yehovah to preserve them. But Herod made search after Yohanan and sent servants to Zechariah when he was ministering at the altar and said to him, where have you hidden your son? He replied to them, I am a minister of Yehovah and I am serving at the altar. How should I know where my son is? Herod was incensed. Is not this son of his likely to become king of Israel? He sent his servants again to speak to Zechariah. Tell the truth, where's your son? Do you realize that your life is in my hands? But Zechariah replied, I am a witness for the Almighty. And if Herod sheds my blood, God will receive my soul. And you also will have shed innocent blood. Nevertheless, Zechariah was murdered between the altar and the entrance of the temple. It was the week of Hanukkah that this bloodbath of both the innocent children and Miriam's cousin, the priest Zechariah, transpired. It is true that the Feast of the Lord are all prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. But the Feast of Hanukkah is also a prophetic shadow picture of bad things to come. Antiochus Epiphanes is a case in point. Antiochus was the anti-Messiah of the Greek era just as Herod was a literal anti-Messiah who set out to kill Yeshua Messiah in the Roman era. In the time of Antiochus, the pagans erected a statue of Zeus on the Temple Mount on Zeus's birthday, December 25th, and proclaimed that Zeus was God and that the Torah of Moses was now old, nullified, void of authority. In the book of Maccabees, in the original 1611 King James Version of the Bible, we read about the dedicated Hanukkite believers who rose up against Antiochus and the sons of Greece. Contrary to the expectations of all the nations surrounding Israel, these dedicated warriors conquered the greatest military power in the world. And they did so in the name and with the power of Yehovah. They destroyed the image of Zeus, broke down the altar that had been defiled with swine flesh, cleansed the temple mount of sun god worship, and dedicated a new altar to the worship and glory of the true God. That is why Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedications, and he did so by healing a man that was born blind. We are all blind until he opens our eyes. 